So I um, mentioned it already this morning about uh, Dick Durbin uh, being uh, actually he's, uh, in the emergency center right up the road because uh, all the hospitals are full. And Webb and Sharon were with him uh, through the night. And uh, so um, Webb called Steve Campbell this morning to see if he would uh, do children's church for him. And Steve is always willing to help out, and he agreed to do that. And thank you, uh, Steve. I want to say thank you uh, for doing that on behalf of the church. We appreciate that very much. And so, kids, now's the time you get to follow Mr. Steve to children's church. Uh, James, you're a little old for children's church. There's truth in that, isn't it? We sure love that guy. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of James, uh, chapter 1, verses 23 and following. James writes this, Do not merely... Listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, it's like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So um, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we are really glad uh, once again to be here today. And um, Lord, we're glad uh, to see friends and, and uh, to catch up and to talk and to enjoy that and to enjoy the music and, and to worship you, Lord, that wonderful freedom that comes to our heart and soul as we sing your praises. We're glad to be able to pray. Uh, Lord, all of those things are good. We're, we're most especially glad that, uh, according to your word, that even when just two or three gather together in your name, you're right there in our midst. And, and so, Lord, we know that you're here with us today. And and it is our prayer that you'd make us, uh, make us aware of that, that we would know it more than just as a, a kind of fact that we would write down on a piece of paper, but that when we leave here today, we would say, you know, we did, we did indeed meet with the living God. Well, we also come here uh, to hear you speak to us, and you do that in many ways through the music and through the reading of the Scripture and uh, and even through comments sometimes that people make. But you also have a message for your people. And it's our prayer, Lord, that all of us together would listen to hear what you would say. That you would speak to us in the places that we need to hear you speak and about the things we need you to address. I ask that we, when hearing your word... And hearing your voice, we'd embrace that, Lord, and that we would not forget what we've heard. We wouldn't be as 
as a man who looks at himself in the mirror and walks away and forgets, but that we would attempt to put into practice what you say to us. As I we're glad to be here today. We thank you for this, and we just offer you this service and, and ourselves in the name of Jesus, our wonderful Lord and Savior. Amen. So there is a, a, a children's book called My Bedtime Anytime Storybook, and uh, we used to read that to our kids when they were really little, and it's been quite a long time ago now, I know. But um, one of the characters in that book was uh, Brew the Bear, <laughs> and Brew was uh, rather a grump. <laughs> and one day he found a mirror, and Brew had never seen a mirror before, and when he looked into it, he saw the ugliest guy he'd ever seen. So Brew the Bear himself said later as he told the story. He related how when he growled, that other bear, bear growled right back at him. And when he frowned, the bear that he met in that mirror frowned back at him. And that's why Brew thought he was so ugly. And, of course, the children can laugh at the silliness of such a creature. They know that the mirror was only showing uh, the bear what he actually looked like. And it wasn't a very pretty picture that he saw and the sad thing was is that the bear didn't get it he saw himself and he didn't like what he saw but he never realized the truth and so he wasn't able to change well the word of God often functions as a mirror uh, we saw that or see that in the passage that I just read from out of the book of James and the Bible tells us that it is completely possible for us to see ourselves in the word of God and to see ourselves as we truly are and then to straight away forget what we saw. Now some people, it's true, um, they see their reflection and they don't realize that truth. They, they don't realize that what they're seeing is merely a reflection and much like Brew, uh, they blame the book as if it were the book's fault. And yet for many, they do understand. They know that they're seeing themselves in the Word, but it doesn't do them any good. They quickly forget the truth when they turn away and they go about their business. And that's really worse than what Brew the Bear experienced. I mean, he never really understood, but they do. And when we see ourselves in the mirror of God's Word and walk away and forget, well, we, we ought to understand that's not good, and it doesn't lead to anywhere good. The Bible doesn't just show us um, ourselves in its pages, however. It, it, it shows us many other things as well, and it shows them to us as they really are. And we need discernment when we come to the Word. We need the discernment to understand what we're looking at, and the discernment comes from God, His Spirit, showing us the truth. And that idea comes through, I think, uh, very clearly in the section of Revelation, which we're going to be considering over the next several weeks. Uh, we're going to be looking at the seven letters to the seven churches found in chapter 2 and 3, and we'll see reflected in those chapters those seven churches. And they really form a kind of a compendium uh, showing us uh, what churches can look like. Now, a church may look like one of these, or it may may have elements of several kind of mixed together which make up that church. And 
We won't see ourselves in every one of them, but we ought to be looking and we ought to be asking God to help us to see clearly and to understand just what we're looking at. And it's also likely that even though not every description will fit us as a church, there will be individuals who will see something of their own heart reflected in the different letters, and that too, I think, is uh, intentional. And so we, we do see ourselves, when we do, we need to take to heart what we're seeing, and we need to act on it. We don't want to walk away and forget. Uh, we don't want to do nothing about it. There are consequences if we do, if we see and we don't do anything about it, there are consequences, and we see that in these letters also. So specifically today, we're going to be looking at the first letter that was written to the churches, uh, the letter to the Ephesians, and, um, and that's found in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and join me there in your Bible, or of course it's up on the uh, board before us now. So what, what we're going to do is we're going to begin by looking just briefly at the very last verse uh, of the letter, verse 7, the last sentence of the letter. And there's really two things that I want us to see uh, in that. And the first being that the Holy Spirit will speak to us through these letters. And so we read in verse 7, whoever has ears let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so God's Word is telling us about these churches, and we need to hear what he uh, says, and, and then the Holy Spirit, we need to listen to hear if he's saying anything to us, particularly as a, as a church and as individuals, if he's speaking to us through these letters. And he'll show us what we look like, and by implication, he'll show us what we don't look like also if we don't see ourselves reflected there. And that's the first thing I want us to note, that the Spirit uses these letters and he will speak to us. And the next thing is to note is this, there's this reminder given of what God will do for his people, which we see in the rest of that verse. So this is what we read there. So the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So this is a really a symbolic way of reminding us as believers that we will live forever with God. And it's given to us and to them to encourage us in what we ought to do. You see, we're, we're victorious when we first put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we trusted him for our salvation. And we are victorious, as the Greek puts it, we overcome every time that we hear God's word and obey it. And God wants us to be Overcomers. He wants us to respond to what he says to us every time he speaks. Now, we fail, of course, and we fail all the time, but God never does. And so he continues to work in us. He continues that work that he's begun to make us more like Christ, and he will do whatever it takes. And we'll see that in some of the other letters. He'll do whatever it takes to get us to that place where we belong. So God will speak to us. He'll speak to us through these letters. We need to listen, and the Spirit will open our hearts and our minds to what he's saying, and we should be encouraged when we come to these things because of all that God will do for us, and that should help us to act on what he says. Now what I want to do is look at the rest of the letter, and we're going to begin by simply remembering something that as a church we've looked at before, and this is what it is, that among the different ways 
that God speaks to his people. One of the most important is through the pastor of the church. And so in verse 1, we read this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. We're not going to spend any time here. We've talked about it before. But those lampstands are representative of the churches and God, Jesus, is walking in their midst. And and the Greek and Hebrew word for angel that's used there is messenger. And so the messenger of the church is the pastor who speaks God's word to his people. Now, I have to stop right here, as I, as I always do when I say something like that. And, and I have to tell you that this truth belongs to your humility and to mine. It belongs to my humility to make that statement and to yours to hear it. But I have to tell you, if I ever start telling you merely what my thoughts are instead of God's word, then you can stop listening to me and you had better go find a new pastor. But as long as I'm communicating God's word to you, then it is to your benefit and mine that you and I both Pay attention to what God is saying. Now, the message here begins with God commending the Ephesian church. And I, and I think, I'm telling you right up front, I think we can see ourselves reflected very clearly in the words of verses 2 and 3. So this is what Jesus says. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. So Jesus is telling the Ephesian church that he knows them, and he really knows them intimately, and he praises them for seven different things here in this list. Their deeds, their toil, their perseverance, uh, the fact that they take no part with evil people, that they discerned false leaders, that they persevered and endured for the sake of Jesus' name, and they haven't grown weary. And we could even add an eighth one uh, that you find down in uh, verse 6 where they hated the practice of the Nicolaitans. And that really serves a different function in the text, as we'll see. So their deeds and their toil demonstrated that they had a faith that is alive. And their, and their perseverance shows that they have hope for the world to come. And they maintain uh, the purity of the church and their discerning and testing the spirits. And they hold in highest honor and regard the name of Jesus Christ as shown by their endurance and perseverance, and, and they must often have been refreshed by our God for, for they haven't grown weary. And, and that only happens when, um, when God enters your life and that refreshing comes from him. And, and so we could sum up all that this uh, two verses say this way, that the Ephesian church, they were orthodox in their belief and they acted on their orthodoxy. Now, give me a simple definition of orthodoxy. It's when we believe that God's word is God's word 
and it means what it says, and we can count on it. That's probably the simplest definition there is of orthodoxy. It believing God's word is God's word, and we uh, and it means what it says, and we can count on it. And the Ephesian church not only believed the right things, they also acted on those beliefs, and I think we do here too. I think that, that this church is orthodox. <laughs> We certainly believe that the Bible is God's word. We believe that it means what it says, and we believe we can count on it. Uh, uh, we, we act on that belief. We see that in the Awanas program. We see that at Children's Church and Little Lamb uh, Preschool. We see it in our youth ministry and our small group ministry. We see it in the way we support missionaries and uh, people that we help through our deacons fund and our support of other ministries such as Haven House that was mentioned this morning. We have confronted sin where we needed to, even to the point of being threatened with legal action. And we've gone through hard times and we've endured them. And we're careful about what kinds of things are taught here. And we reject those which are not biblical or those that veer off course and all of that is good and all of that we ought to be glad about the real issue for us and many others however is really what we read in the next verse in verse 4 so Jesus says this yet I hold this against you you have forsaken the love you had it Now, as happy as our Lord was with the Ephesian church for those other things, this really didn't please him. Uh, In fact, this thing was against them, and it was Jesus himself who opposed them because of it. He held that against them. And before we try to determine whether this is a reflection of us or not, I think we need to try to understand what that means. So the text tells us they had forsaken the love they had at first, or had they had forsaken their first love, is another way that it's sometimes translated, a much more familiar way for us to hear it. And so what was this first love that's mentioned there? So I, I have to tell you, if you get the commentaries out, and sometimes even in footnotes and Bibles, you'll see that people differ on what they think it really means. Some people think it means uh, our love in God, that they had forsaken that genuine love for God and other people think it means our love for other people and the people around us I never even heard people say that it refers to uh, our zeal for evangelism it refers to whether we love people enough to share the faith with them now, I have to tell you I think the answer really is obvious but I, I understand where the confusion comes from you see our, our first love is for God and so Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22 You remember those words, which I think they're going to get up on the overhead. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But you see, if we really do love God that way, then we're going to love others. And so in that same passage, Jesus also said, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourselves. And and you know, don't you, who our neighbor is? If you don't, let me tell you, our neighbor is anyone that we come across that we can love. And what I mean by love is not just feel nice about them, but help them in any way we can, that we can express God's love to them. 
And, and, and Jesus goes on to say in that passage that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And, of course, we know from John and Peter and other places in the Scripture that if we don't love other people, we really are not loving God. The truth of the matter is, is when we love God the way we should, we are going to love other people and we're going to uh, love the law. So that, that first love for God is absent. And if it's absent, then our love for other people, um, both the lost and the saved, is going be missing and I think that's why the confusion arises into what's meant by that but again if we really love God we'll be loving others too and we'll be uh, reaching out to the lost because God loves them and we should too so I, I, I'm afraid though that we really don't appreciate the seriousness of what he's saying here when we read this passage about them forsaking their first love, we know that it's not good, but we, we really don't appreciate the danger. We don't, we don't understand. I, I think we don't understand how bad it really is that, that they had forsaken their first love. And verse 5 uh, tells us that, and Jesus begins um, by saying this. He says, Consider how far you have fallen. You know, the idea is like this. It's that you are all the way at the top, and now you're all the way at the bottom. You know, the, the Ephesian church was commended by the apostle Paul for their love in the letter that he wrote to them. But by now they'd forsaken that love. And he goes on to say to them, Jesus does, repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent... I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. And that last phrase tells us how serious this really is. You see, if we don't love God as we should, which means we're really not loving other people and we're really not loving the lost, if we're not loving God as we should, then we're in danger of losing our lampstand. We're in danger of being abandoned as a church and abandoned by God. And this is no little matter. And when you realize this, that this threat was made to no other church, not even the church of Laodicea, which was all but dead, you begin to appreciate how serious this is. Now, of course, that, that threat's there for any of the churches if they don't repent of their sins and walk with God but the threat is only made here to the Ephesians. It drives home how serious a thing it is. And it's even more than that when we see in the Greek would be better translated by saying this. I am in the process of coming to you right now to take away your lampstand. In other words, Jesus is going to act on this quickly. It's not something he'll put up with. Now, now, verse 6 tells us that they haven't quite fallen as far as they could, but you have this in your favor. He says, you hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. At the time, we don't know much about them. All we know is what we can really deduce from the book of Revelation. And, and what we can say about them is there were people that have compromised with the world and accepted its standards instead of the word of God. So this Ephesian church hadn't quite gotten there. They still were orthodox, and they were still acting on it. They just didn't love as they should 
amazing, we can understand why this is so serious when we remember that this described the Pharisees, didn't it? To a very large extent. I mean, they had a good understanding of God's word, didn't they? They were orthodox, but they crucified Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus refers to them as sons of hell and to the disciples that they might be able to make as twice the son of hell that they are. See, orthodoxy without love really becomes a terrible thing. It drives people away. It keeps them from God. And, it, and if one accepts that kind of empty teaching, it makes them condemning and judgmental. And Jesus' hardest and harshest words were always directed against the religious and unloving. The real question for us now is, does this apply to our church? I think it applies to a lot of churches. I think the danger that most churches face is this very one. I, I think that it's the primary danger that churches face. And, and as such, it's the first one that's addressed. But does it apply to our church? Well, let me begin to answer that question this way. Uh, it does apply to each one of us here at different times in our lives. I mean, I, I think all of us would agree with that. I mean, every one of us, at least I hope every one of us, would admit that we don't always love God as we should, that we don't always love our neighbors as we should, or the lost as God wants us to love them. We would even confess to our embarrassment and shame that we don't love our parents, our spouses, our children, or any of our family and friends the way we should all the time. Don't we often fail? And the truth is, and we know it, that even when we do love, our love isn't as strong or as good as it should be. And we know we always need to be loving more and more. But we do love. We do love and we are learning to love more and more so we're often uh, in that state of overcoming and we're victorious in our own lives and so having said that let me go back to the question does this apply to our church that we have abandoned our first love well, let me tell you that I do not think that it does. I, I think that the love for God is evident here. I think it's evident here in the lives of the people that come here. I see you, I know you, I meet with you, I see you in different settings and situations, and, and everything about your life says, I love God. I don't always do it perfectly. I understand that. People who come into this church for the first time, their testimony is often the same as mine and my wife. The first time we walked into this church, we felt like we'd come home. I think we do love God. I think we love him with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. And I because, think because of that, we love other people. We love one another. I think we love our families better because of that. I think we learn to love the lost better because we love our God. And, 
and even though we fail all the time, it's coming here that helps us, isn't it? I, I mean, you know, you're going to come here uh, on a Sunday morning, and you could have had a fight with your kids and your wife and your boss and gotten a nasty letter from the IRS. I don't know what could have happened. And you can walk through these doors, and sometimes it takes a little while, but you can come in these doors and you meet with God's people. And something happens inside of you. You're not the same person as when you walked in. There's power in people who love God that way. See, that's another reason why it's so bad. If the whole church has has walked away from God, then we walk in here and we don't have any help. We might still be orthodox. We might still be working our ministries, but... But what makes it click, what makes it real, what makes it alive, what makes it make a difference in the lives of other people is our love for God. That's here. Oh, we have to guard it. It's always in danger of being stolen from us or ignored by us. Or we are always in danger of walking away from it. And some of you, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, maybe it's true of White Bible Church, but I know it isn't true of me. So what do you do? What, what, what do you do if you find yourself in that situation? What do we need to do as a church to guard ourselves? Well, the Scripture tells us here, doesn't it? He says in verse 5, consider how far you've fallen. You know, that word consider really could be translated remember, but it's remember with thought. And so he says, remember how far you've fallen. He, he tells us, look back, remember, think about those days when you know you were walking with God. Do you, do you remember that? Even if you are walking with God now, don't you sometimes stop and think? I remember there's different times in my life when I knew without any doubt that I was walking with God. And those are just like milestones in my life. And he says, look back, remember. And then he says something. He says, repent. That means change your mind. That Turn from it. Turn back to what you did. And then do the things you did at first. And what were those things? Well, some of them are pretty simple, aren't they? You know, pray, read the Word, go to church, talk to God and confess your sins. Do the things you did at first. And the funny thing is, when you do that, God responds. And he kindles that heart and that love in your heart again. And once again, you're not the same person you once were. Now, this isn't a perfect church. Perfect church doesn't exist, at least not on this earth. But there's an awful lot here that's good. And the most important thing is, is that we do love God, and it shows in our love for others. 
and we need to guard it and we need to learn to love more and more and more and, and it's times like this when we gather around this table that I think helps us to do that it's time when we come here to the Lord's Supper when we remember what he's done for us when we remember that we belong to one another when we remember that that he's called us to live a certain kind of life so every month we we take that first Sunday and, uh, we come to the table and we remember what Christ did we proclaim his death and we look forward to what's yet to come it's one more of those good things that God does to help us to maintain what we have here. So l l let me let me say this. I know I say this all the time. Got to do it <laughs> because there are people here sometimes that aren't here at others. When we serve this Lord's Supper, we want anyone that's here who knows Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior to share this meal with us. It doesn't matter if you're a member of this church or not. If you know him as your Savior, then we want you to eat and drink with us. Now, if you don't know that, if you don't know what I mean by that, it means you probably don't know him in that way. And so we're going to ask you when that bread and cup come to you to let it pass you by. And honestly, we'll not call any attention to it. No one will tell anyone or me or anything like that. But if you're a believer, you can eat and drink with us. Unless as a believer you have a continuing animosity between you and another believer that you haven't tried to deal with or if you are living in unconfessed sin then you too have to let the bread and the cup pass you by otherwise um, we invite you to eat with us and to drink with us and our custom is to serve the bread and hold it until all are served and we eat together and then we do the same thing with the cup so I'm going to ask uh, Brad Martin uh, if he would and um, Frank Day and Jim if you uh, could join me up front here